Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 161, Leo Tolstoy, Manhood, Part 2. Last episode, we recounted the early part of Tolstoy's literary career with the publication of Childhood through his stationing in the Crimea. Today, we start with the siege of Sevastopol. But before we go any further, today's upload of this podcast marks the fifth anniversary of the beginning of Russian Rulers History Podcast, which I first recorded and uploaded on April 30th, 2010. Here's hoping for another five years. Can't guarantee it, but I really enjoy it, and I love the feedback I'm getting from all of you listeners. So thank you very much for listening and all the great comments I've gotten and everything else associated with this podcast. It's been a real pleasure doing it and hope to continue going on. On with the podcast. Leo had just left Kishinev, heading to Sevastopol to help with the siege. The Russians had just lost the battles of Alma and Inkerman, taking heavy casualties. What Tolstoy was to find out was the men were dying not because they were brave, and they were, but because of incompetence both by the officers and the equipment the men had. While the French and the British had rifles, his side had outdated muskets. Russian artillery, though, was as good as any in the world, but the fighting men were outclassed and outgunned. Tolstoy was lucky to have been an artilleryman, and not in the infantry, otherwise we might never have seen his greatness. While in Sevastopol, Tolstoy was writing two books, Youth, the follow-up to Childhood and Boyhood, and Sevastopol Sketches, his account of the siege. On top of it, his memoirs of a billiard maker, or billiard marker, came out in the contemporary. Critics were beside themselves. The works were brilliant. He, of course, was thrilled. As he wrote in his diary, quote, What gave me most pleasure was to read the critics' notices. They speak of the memoirs of a billiard marker in very flattering terms. This sensation is both pleasant and useful, for by feeding my pride it drives me to action. Alas, for the last five days I have not written a single word of youth, although I did begin Sevastopol by day and night. His time at the siege was to be the beginning of his conversion into an extreme pacifist later in life. He saw men being killed needlessly due to the poor quality of their weapons, but even more so because of the gross incompetence of the officer corps. In his diary he used the words laziness, stupidity, despair, lust, over and over again. In 1855, an article written by Tolstoy was published largely untouched by the censors entitled Sevastopol in December. It was, as usual, greeted with great reviews. The Russian public, though, was now aware of what was going on. Ivan Turgenev wrote to one of his friends, quote, I cried when I read it. I shouted hurrah. As the war raged on, there was a great fear that Tolstoy might get injured, or even worse, killed. He himself asked to go on a mission, and was taken out of his battery to serve as a courier to St. Petersburg. But the night before he left, he lost 2,800 rubles gambling, the equivalent of today about $7,800. On November 19, 1855, Leo Tolstoy arrived in St. Petersburg. The first thing he did after checking into the hotel and changing clothes was to head off to meet with an idol of his, 
Ivan Sergeyevich Turgenev. Immediately they hit it off. As Turgenev put it in a letter to a friend, quote, You cannot imagine what a delightful and entertaining man Tolstoy is, even though I have baptized him the troglodyte because of his barbaric ardor and bullheadedness. It were these two qualities that Leo would begin to alienate himself from his newfound friend. I actually believe that it was inevitable that the two men would become enemies after a while, as you could not imagine two more diametrically opposed people. Turgenev was a big man, but very mild-mannered. Tolstoy was smallish, with a big personality. But what opened Ivan's eyes was when he decided to go out in the town with Leo. His debauchery was unbelievable to Turgenev. Tolstoy writes about his partying at the time. Quote, Went to Pavlovsk. Disgusting. Girls. Silly music. Girls. Mechanical nightingale. Girls. Heat. Cigarette smoke. Girls. Vodka. Cheese. Screams and shouts. Girls, girls, girls. Everybody tries to look as though he's having a good time and likes the girls. But in vain. Things became strained between the two men, as we've quotes from Ivan written down by the young poet Fett. Quote, he came here straight from his battery at Sevastopol, moved in with me, and plunged into a headlong spree. Orgies, gypsies, cards all night long. Then he sleeps like a dead man until two in the afternoon. At first, I tried to restrain him, but now I've given up. Tolstoy also began offending other members of the contemporary magazine by arguing with them incessantly. It didn't matter what point of view they had, Leo would take the other. One side had the point of view that Russia needed to be, it needed to move more towards the West, while the others were devout Slavophiles, believing in the superiority of Russian culture. Tolstoy, he mocked them both. During this time, he produced a number of Sevastopol sketches, like Sevastopol in August, along with some shorter stories like Two Hussars, The Snowstorm, and Landlord's Morning. Then, sadly, he received word that his brother Dmitri was dying of tuberculosis. Off to Orel in January of 1856 went Leo. What he saw was a ravaged shell of a brother, not only caused by the dreaded disease, but by years of heavy drinking, smoking, and frequenting prostitutes, it decayed the young man. As Troyot puts it in his biography, quote, In his brother, ravaged by suffering and debauchery, Tolstoy saw a distorted reflection of himself. There seemed to be a propensity in the Tolstoy blood for swimming, swinging from good to evil, humility to pride, lechery to virtue, with unusual facility. They were all more or less creatures of extremes, lost in a world of happy medium. Only, in Leo, reason moderated instinct, whereas Dmitri followed his impulses to the end, no matter how absurd their consequences. Dmitri was being taken care of by the young prostitute that originally initiated him into manhood. Scandalous as it was, he refused to distance himself from his love, Masha. Within three weeks of the visit, Dmitri Tolstoy was dead. Strangely, Leo did not go to his brother's funeral, instead going to a young woman's house for dinner. His aunt Alexandra was furious. But in a strange twist, his brother's death did not go away. 
the scenes that Tolstoy saw, the emaciated body, the decorations in the room where he lay dying, the prostitute Masha, were all included in his classic novel, Anna Karenina, when describing the death of Levin's brother. Heading back to Yasnaya Polyana, Leo stopped by the house of a childhood friend, Lyubova Bears. She introduced her, him to her three daughters, Lisa, who was 12, Sonia, who was 11, and Tatiana, 10. In his diary on May 26, 1856, he wrote, What sweet gay little girls! Little did he know that six years later he would marry Sonia. Later that summer, Tolstoy attempted to free his serfs by offering them land, the land that they worked on, in return for 30 years of payments. Negotiations continued, with the time being reduced to 24, then 20 years. But a rumor spread that the Tsar was going to free them shortly and just give them the land. They were angry with Leo as they believed they were cheating him. He then left Yasnaya Polyana in disgust. Roaming around Russia, Tolstoy decided he needed to leave the country and head to Paris. There he would meet up with his on-again, off-again friend Turgenev, and as luck would have it, Nekrasov was going to be there as well. Leo loved the City of Lights, especially with its being much freer than St. Petersburg or Moscow. Very little censorship in comparison. He felt enamored with the people until he went to the Invalides and saw Napoleon's tomb. His Russian nationalism made his blood boil. On the walls were the victorious battles that the French general won, but one in particular angered Tolstoy, the Moskva. After seeing a number of veterans of the war in the courtyard, Leo wrote, quote, They are nothing but soldiers, animals trained to bite. They should be left to starve to death. As for their torn-off legs, serve them right. One has to wonder if the idea for writing War and Peace came from this visit to Napoleon's tomb. While in Paris, he visited with many of the wealthy noblemen from Russia, like the Lvovs, Orlovs, Trubetskoys, and Sherbatovs, to name a few. Here he hoped to learn more about the Parisians and the French as a whole. But it was a single incident that would shake Leo to his very core while visiting France. On April 6, 1857, a man named Francois Richaud was to be executed by guillotine after being sentenced to death for robbery and murder. In his book Confession, written 25 years after the event, Tolstoy writes, quote, When I saw the head part from the body, and each of them fall separately into a box with a thud, I understood, not in my mind, but with my whole being, that no rational doctrine of progress could justify that act, and that if every man now living in the world, and every man who had lived since the beginning of time, were to maintain, in the name of some theory or other, that this execution was indispensable, that it was wrong. Six weeks after arriving, he headed off to Switzerland. Many say that he left because of the execution he witnessed, but he was planning on leaving with his brother Sergei anyway. It just gave him a dramatic excuse, which he used in a number of communications with friends. In Geneva, like in Paris, Tolstoy spent all of his time with the Russian community, very little with the natives. Two of his aunts lived there, and he spent a great deal of time with them. 
After a while, he became bored and went by train through Schaffhausen, Friedrichshafen, and then Stuttgart. As I've mentioned in a past podcast, there's a little town near Stuttgart that I visited on business named Baden-Baden. The hotel I stayed at was next to the last thing that Leo Tolstoy should have gone to, a casino. Turgenev met him there and, as usual, had to lend money to Leo to make up for his staggering losses. Broke, he then received a letter from his sister, Maria, proclaiming that she was leaving her cheating husband. Out of money and convinced of the need to head back home to Russia, Tolstoy borrowed some more money and headed there. While he detested France, Germany, and Switzerland, his visit there opened his eyes to the enormous problems in his native Russia. While he wrote about loving the city of lights, Paris, he just really didn't like the people. Although, you know, it's strange because he didn't even really meet the people. He met the Russians in the community, and I guess it was their points of view about the the locals that he, that he reflected on in his writings. But much like the troops returning home from France in 1814 after defeating Napoleon, Tolstoy began to realize how wretched the lives of many of the people in his own country were. Writing to Alexandra Tolstoy, he said, quote, In Petersburg and Moscow, everybody is shouting about something. Everybody's in arms waiting for a miracle to happen. While out here in the country, patriarchal barbarism, theft and arbitrary rule go on as before. For a long time, I had to fight against a feeling of aversion for my country. Now I'm beginning to accustom myself to all the horrors that make up the human condition. Fortunately, there is one salvation. Morality. The world of the arts, poetry, and human relations. There, nobody bothers me, policeman or town councillor. I am alone. Outside, the wind howls. Outside is all mud and cold. I am here. I play Beethoven and shed tears of tenderness. Or I read the Iliad. Or I create my own men and women and live with them, covering sheets of paper. In October of 1857, he met up with his sister, Maria. But he was in a very melancholy mood. A trip to St. Petersburg did him no good either. What brought him out of his doldrums was the understanding that the new czar was opening up things and allowing expression of disagreement to see the light of day, unlike his predecessor, Nicholas I. But still, he had a hard time with this, especially with his friend Nekrasov, so much so that he broke off his relationship with the contemporary. They had one point of view about it, going, yes, we get to say more, and Leo was like, whoa, wait, do we really need to? You know, Do we need, really need to be so socially... Uh, forward and liberal. It was a battle that was going to rage within Leo for a while. And it was also around this time that Tolstoy began to question the church and religion in general. He began to write to his very pious aunt Alexandra about his feelings, which greatly disturbed her. This change was gradual in him and would continue throughout his life, culminating in his excommunication from the Russian Orthodox Church. Over the next year, he fell for his surf mistress, one Oxina Bazikin. She entranced him and made him think of marrying her, something that just wasn't done in 19th century Russia. Needing an excuse to break off the relationship, but lacking the courage, he made the excuse that he, Maria, and her children needed to head off to Europe for a second time, 
uh, for their health. Nicholas, the elder brother, was by now very ill in Soden, about a five-hour train ride from where Leo was in Kissingen. Strangely, like with his brother Dimitri, Leo didn't go to his brother. Instead, Nicholas, in his much-weakened condition, went to him. It was the summer of 1860, and Leo swore he would never leave his brother's side. But that changed a few weeks later, of course, as he allowed Nicholas to head back to Soden by himself. This odd behavior, especially given the two brothers' time in the army together, is really puzzling. It disturbed Leo enough to force him back to Soden to stay with his brother. By that fall, on October the 2nd, Nicholas passed away in the arms of his brother Leo. Eight years prior, he wrote to his aunt Toinette, quote, As God is my witness, the two greatest misfortunes that could befall me would be your death or that of Nicholas, the two people I love more than myself. From here, we have Leo Tolstoy continuing, continuing to travel through Europe, doing research on locations in France, England, Belgium, and Italy where he met with people like the father of Russian socialism, Alexander Herzen, and Pierre-Joseph Proudhon, the French anarchist, both of whom were to have major influences on Leo. And then another major event occurred that startled Tolstoy, and that was the manifesto from Alexander II freeing the serfs. At first he was utterly happy about the announcement, but after he read the document he believed it to be far too complex and it would cause a lot of problems. As he wrote in a letter to Hertzen, quote, Have you read the exact terms of emancipation? To my mind, it is utterly futile verbiage. I received two letters from Russia telling me that the Muzhiks were all dissatisfied. Before, they could hope that everything would turn out all right. Now they know for certain that everything will be all wrong, at least for the next two years, and after that there will be more delays. And the whole thing is the work of the masters. Meeting with people like Hertzen and writing to them, or Proudhon and the like, was a dangerous business, as the Russian secret police would have spies out. So this was a brave thing to do. But he knew that these men had radical new ideas that intrigued him, that he would take the risks anyway. From here, he went to cities like Eisenach, Weimar, and Jena, places that the French army battled through 50 years earlier. By May of 1861, Tolstoy decided to head back to Russia. While there, he met up with Ivan Turgenev again, where, as usual, they got into a heated argument. Leo, though, left infuriated and wrote to Ivan demanding an apology, which Ivan wrote immediately and sent out. Unfortunately, he sent it to the wrong place. Tolstoy, not having heard anything back from his friend, became angrier and angrier. He then sent Turgenev a challenge to a duel. He agreed, but a little while later, the original letter of the apology arrived. Still, Tolstoy was so upset that even though he called off the duel, he still felt animosity towards Ivan. He wrote to him, quote, You are afraid of me. I despise you and want no more to do with you. The two were to avoid each other personally or via correspondence for the next 17 years. Tolstoy got back into writing now because of his gambling. You might go, well, how the heck are those two related? But the reason is simple. He needed to pay off a debt, so he quickly sold the book The Cossacks, 
which was already half finished, to the Russian herald for the thousand dollars he owed to his officer who beat him in Chinese billiards two days before. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. So join me next time when we introduce the newest Tolstoy, his wife, Sonia. So now, as always, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.